Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. That really is the heart of the book of Acts, that we are part of a story that began thousands of years ago. This is our moment in time and a story that will continue until the Lord returns. Pretty amazing thing. And as we kind of get ready to wrap up this series, next week we'll finish out uh, part two of that. I don't know about you. I really have enjoyed personally this series. I hope it's been helpful for you. And I'm always amazed when you take time to study God's Word, even if it's something I've preached Acts before, but there's always times where God gives you new insight to things, things that God lays upon your heart, impressions that you didn't have before. As I think about the book of Acts this last time, for me there have been some takeaways. Three events that have forever changed what it means to be Christian. In fact, I think about the book of Acts, three events that in the absence of these three events, we would not be Christians. We would simply be outsiders looking at a chosen people from a distance with no hope that we go. What are these three events? Think all the way back to where we started last fall. Uh, Pentecost, Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit no longer dwelt simply within the context of the temple, but the Holy Spirit dwelt within the lives of all those who are believers in Christ. Transformational. Acts chapter two, a little farther on, was the introduction of this new thing called the church. This idea that a group, a gathering of believers would really... They would practice the things that Jesus gave, that they would be evidence within their community of the teachings of Jesus. This was a brand new concept. We didn't just go to the temple. We were the church. The third event that I think forever changed how we think my life, and probably I think for most of us here, our lives in context of being followers of Christ, the third event we're going to study today, and it's probably an event you're not as familiar with in the book of Acts, but that's where we're going to go today. Book of Acts, this whole little chapter, it's incredible. It's had this revolutionary truth that really turned everything upside down to how people thought about how you please God. The book of Acts says, listen, something new, something revolutionary is happening. It teaches this, that Jesus came not only to fulfill the law, but here's the incredible part, he came to do away with the need for the law. Transformational. The idea, again, that the church is now the bride of Christ, that this is the place where we'll worship and do instruction and do life together becomes so impactful. And I don't think in our context, at least no for me, we don't have any true understanding of how unsettling the words of Jesus were how really it turned everything upside down, the things that the apostles were teaching in in the book of Acts. I mean, everything in Jewish spiritual practice was about to be changed when Jesus came. So it's no wonder it it created such emotion from people. And then Jesus is gonna close out this time. God's gonna give the final kicker, which is really gonna mess with everybody's mind. He's gonna say this. He's about to unveil his global plan for mankind. And it's a big plan. It's bigger than simply just the holy city of Jerusalem, which, again, was about to change everybody's thinking. And this global plan, here's what was so amazing, was going to include all people of the world. All people. So over 2,000 years later, we're going to have a team that returns from some of the remotest parts of Africa, and they're going to give reports about things this. There are Africans there who say they love Jesus. And we have missionaries in the Middle East who give weekly reports that come back that there are men and women and boys and girls who love this Jesus, even in the Middle East. 
And this morning, hundreds of kids in a little town in Guatemala will get together and they'll sing and they'll do Bible stories and they'll say to you, I love this Jesus. And today, the whitest of all white people will stand in front of you today and say, I can tell my story that I also love Jesus. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And this is the new revelation that's coming in the book of, of Acts that's so powerful to us, that the family of God is now about to become extremely diverse. The beauty is that heaven someday will be amazingly diverse. My hope is that we as Lex City, as a church family, continue to become more diverse and more unified in who we are. This is a beautiful new revelation that's gonna come out of the teaching of today in the book of Acts. But it always wasn't this way. What we're experiencing today together wasn't always the way things were. Today we're gonna see this, that the irony is that an empty stomach is going to be the catalyst for God's vision for how he's gonna change the world. And his plans are gonna be revealed to us in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. So that's where we're going this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. If you've got your phone, if you're new with us this morning, if you take your phones, go to lexcity.info. Uh, all the sermon notes are there as you pass on. And so as you turn, let me just say welcome to those of you that are watching online. I know this summer we get... Also, we've had over about 1,200 folks that join us every Sunday online, so thanks for wherever you're joining us around the U.S. as you travel. So glad to have you with us today. Acts chapter 10, here we go. The next day, they were on their journey and approaching the city, and Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Verse 10, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now, Peter, man, this is my guy first recorded history of food hunger coma that came about, right? And it says this, he got this at the 12th hour. So in Jewish context, that's about noon. But again, Peter's my guy because you understand this. My staff will tell you, man, at about 11.30, it's time to go to lunch in my world. You know what I mean? Beat the rush, get there early, 11.30 is it. So if we're in meetings that go past noon, I mean, my eyes start glazing over. I get the hangries, and they know, like, it's time to wrap this thing up, all right? So what we're having in 10, it wasn't a lack of food-induced coma, but really what Peter is experiencing was a divine trance. And in this moment, this is what he sees, verse 11. And he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descended, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So you remember the context. Peter and Paul, Saul at this time, right, grew up uh, following the law hundreds of ways and things that you're supposed to do, do's and don'ts to please God. And one of those dealt really in the area of the law was this area of not eating unclean animals. So in this dream, when God reveals all these animals who were thought to be unclean and says to Peter, I, need, I want you to kill now and I want you to eat these animals, Peter says, whoa, 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 no, no. I know the law. This is a violation. I cannot do that. The law is referring to Leviticus chapter 11 says it this way. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. And whatever goes in its belly, whatever goes on its belly or whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarm thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat for they are detestable. So Paul's saying this and Peter's saying, listen, I understand I can't touch anything that's unclean or common 
for it will break the law. And in this vision, remember, this is what God is reinforcing in Peter's mind. That Jesus came to fulfill the law and to do away with the law. When Jesus came, he's going to make what was once unclean, clean. All right, this is the big thought for us today. Verse 15, and the voice came to him again because he didn't quite get it a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times and the thing that was taken up at once into heaven. So God says this, I'm gonna make what was unclean now thought to be clean. And so Peter, never again, I need you to call what was common or unclean unfit. We understand in the context, he's not just talking about food. He's talking about us. He's talking about Gentiles who were considered unclean at that time. And this new Jesus movement that's taking place here's what he, is totally inclusive of the world rather than just exclusive to those that lived who were Jews in Jerusalem. There is going to be this diverse, unified, global movement that's about to take place. And it's really going to be a snapshot of what heaven is like. It's the beauty of it. Remember back in our study of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, it said this, And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. He says, man, all, this is what's great, all, he says, are going to be welcome in to the kingdom of God. Revolutionary truth. Never before, before Acts, were these things spoken. So now we are about 10 years after Pentecost or after Acts chapter 2 where we're going to pick up the story today. And as we read the scriptures, I'm constantly reminded that God never wastes time, but God is never in a hurry. I mean, this is 10 years after Pentecost and we're now just getting to this movement that the transition from Jews to Samaritans to Gentiles was a gradual, it was a sustainable, it was a reproducible movement, but it took time. We are so much in this microwave, it's gotta happen tomorrow, we gotta make it now. Listen, God is never waste time, but God's never in a hurry, 10 years. I think about it, it's a good reminder for us. We're five years together as Lex City Church. We're only five years. I, I can't wait to see what God will do in the next five years, or 10 years from now, what God has in store for us, but we just need to remember that God has a plan and a pace, and we trust him within those things. So that's the context that we're, the backdrop for where we're going to jump in today. So let's go back to our main character, the Apostle Paul, where we've been spending the time studying here. Last week, we studied the conversion of Saul, all right, on the road to Damascus. If you missed it, you can watch it there online as we go. And today, we're going to see how after this conversion... God uses Saul to bring this global movement to the entire world. Big thought for today is simply this, that transformation leads to proclamation. I've been changed, and I can't help but share it with others. That's Saul's story, right? The road to Damascus, he comes to understand who Jesus truly was, and he was changed and transformed, and he had to proclaim it. I mean, it's like a new Amway representative in the 1980s or uh, purple teeth cleaners on TikTok that everybody's got to have, right? There's just this like compelling, it's got to be everywhere. I've got to tell everybody what I can. And so here's the challenge you can imagine. 
So Saul gets converted. The first place he goes back is to Damascus at a temple to preach. And you can imagine he was met with a lot of mixed reviews and thoughts. Some were like, hmm, hmm. You're just, you're pretending. You're trying to trick us. We know you came here to in order to, ins- to bring us back in, in, in chains, back to Jerusalem, because we're followers of the way. We think you're here just to infiltrate this new movement so we don't trust you at all. There were others that were skeptical. They knew they had friends, families that had been impacted by Saul's persecution in different ways. And so there was this, this standoff from him. In fact, it was so bad, there's a group of Jews, Jewish leaders, who plot to kill Saul that very day, that very night in Damascus. And somehow the disciples get word of this plot against him. And so in the middle of the night, in darkness of the night, they led him down through a gap in the wall on the outside of the city in a basket. And off he goes, and he, he continues on. Years pass, where we're gonna pick it up today from those moments. And now we find Saul... Uh, in Antioch. And after talking with Peter and understanding the dream, the vision that we just talked about from Peter, he's all of a sudden getting a greater understanding of this is God's vision, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, that all would be made clean. So in just a moment, I want to give you just a, a little bit of an overview because Saul is so motivated by this, transformation leads to proclamation, that he's gonna head off into three missionary journeys to take the gospel to the farthest ends of the earth. And in a moment, I I wanna give you a a visual uh, of that. But on this first missionary journey, something very significant happens in Saul's life, and I wanna share that with you. And And this happens when he visited Antioch. So let me give you a little map that's on here. Now, this is not Antioch of of Syria, down on the right-hand side where he first was. This is Antioch of Pasida. And just like... Versailles, France, and Versailles, Kentucky are the same name. They're completely different cities, if you know what I'm saying. So this is the context of Antioch. Antioch of Syria is much different than Antioch all the way uh, of Pisidia, all the way up north. But this is where we find Saul. First missionary journey, all the way up north. And this is what Acts says in Acts 13. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many were appointed eternal life and believed. Right? Do you see what happened? So he's preaching to the Jews. They reject it. And he says, from this moment on, I am now preaching to the Gentiles that's there. And so it was on this first missionary journey that Saul now changes his name to a Roman Gentile name, Paul. So this is where you see it at this point. And it's fitting that he would change his name from Saul to Paul because remember, this is the Apostle Paul who proclaimed things like this, that I wanna become all things to all people, right? To a Jew, I'll become a Jew in order to win the Jews. To the weak, I'll become weak in order to win the weak, all for the sake of the gospel. And so he changes his name from Saul to Paul, a Gentile Roman name, and it's wisdom, right? This is a little more disarming. This is, I am one of you. I am a part of the people that I'm preaching to. I think that's an important part of it. I also wonder if uh, Paul changed his name, because if you remember, his name was Saul. He was potentially named after one of his ancestors, right? 
King Saul. And so it had this little bit of a regal uh, connotation about I'm something special because of my heritage. The name Paul, it's interesting, the name Paul actually means little or small because what now he is declaring is I am small and insignificant in comparison to this Jesus who is great, who I want to promote. So I think there's something there. So he embarks on these three missionary journeys to, to share his faith to the world around, to these unreached people groups. And for the sake of time, and because I'm, I'm more of a visual learner, uh, let me just give you a quick little synopsis of these three missionary journeys through the Bible Project. And this is what Paul embarked upon. Paul's home base had been in the city of Antioch. And from there, he and his co-workers went out on three road trips, traveling by land and by sea to strategic cities throughout the empire. In each city, Paul's custom was to go first to the Jewish synagogue where his people gathered. He'd start teaching and showing how the Messianic king promised in the Hebrew scriptures is Jesus of Nazareth. And some believed this news, others didn't, and still others thought this message was so misleading and dangerous they would incite riots to kick Paul out of town. And so that's when Paul would take to the bustling city marketplace. He would set up shop there to make and sell leather tents to cover his travel expenses. And here, Paul kept sharing the news about the risen King Jesus with anybody who would listen. He was often misunderstood as just promoting a new God. One time he prayed for a sick person, they were healed, and everyone around thought he must be a Greek God that came down to visit them. But Paul insisted there's only one true God and he was his servant. This message often stirred up opposition and more riots, and he got beaten, even thrown in jail. Why such a strong reaction? Well, the worship of the gods held together Roman culture. They believed the gods kept their cities safe, and the temple worship of the gods was a huge part of their economy. Paul wasn't just adding Jesus as a new god to the list. He was saying all other gods are powerless, even a sham. So he's undermining their way of life. Yes, and more than that. When Paul announced Jesus as a new king, he would call him Lord or Son of God, the very titles people used to refer to the emperor of Rome. So Paul's message could easily be heard as a threat against the entire political order. Why would anyone join this movement? I mean, it sounds dangerous. Well, people were captivated by the story of Jesus and how his love created communities where all people were treated as equals, regardless of ethnicity, gender, or economic status. These people formed new families that would eat together. They lived sacrificially and took care of their poor. They lived like Jesus actually was the king. Right. And so in every city where Paul announced the message about Jesus, people were being transformed by God's spirit to become new kinds of humans. So Paul would stay in that city and teach them the way of Jesus. And then he would leave for a new city. His next stop was Jerusalem, a city full of people who wanted him arrested, even dead. Back in Jerusalem, where the movement began, the Jewish followers of Jesus were suffering from a drought and food shortage. And Paul was so passionate about the church's unity that he began a major fundraising project among the diverse churches he had started. They would pool their money together so he and a group of representatives could take it as a relief gift to Jerusalem. But it's not safe for Paul in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders there dislike him so much they want him dead. And Paul knew he was walking into a trap. His friends all begged him not to go, but no one could stop him. Well, for Paul, this was personal. Jerusalem was where he used to participate in the murder of Jesus' followers, and now he gets to serve them. 
It's also where Jesus himself was executed. And so for Paul, it would be an honor to suffer there alongside his king. Paul goes to Jerusalem, and as expected, he's found by his enemies. A mob forms, and they try to kill him. But Roman soldiers save his life by taking him into custody. And so Paul gets transferred from one court to another until he demands that his case be tried before the court of Caesar in Rome. And so they happily ship him off. Now, throughout this section of Acts, Luke, the writer of the story, has portrayed Paul's trials and imprisonments so that they resemble his previous stories of Jesus's trials and imprisonment. Luke's making an important point. When the people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, their stories will begin to look like his story, which is beautiful, but it also comes with a cost. He's taken to Rome and put under house arrest. In Rome, the center of power where Caesar rules the world as king. Yes, you have Jesus's alternative upside down kingdom now growing in the very heart of the world's most powerful empire, all through the suffering of a prisoner. And with this contrast between kingdoms, Luke ends his story. And next week, we're going to see that as Luke ends the story, he very intentionally leaves the story open-ended. He wants his readers to understand that the story is not finished. It's an ongoing thing. And ultimately, wants to challenge us as readers of the book of Acts that we are participants on this movement. It hasn't ended. There's still more to come. We're going to see that what was once the way in the book of Acts now becomes Christianity in the modern world. But this whole movement and all that you just saw, which Paul did, it, it began in Paul's hometown. It, it began where God had, had planted him. And it was out of his love for the people that were there in his own community that his love spread ultimately to the ends of the world. Acts chapter 1, where we started all the way last fall, gives us the strategy, right? This is God's design for how we reach the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the vision of Acts. It's the vision of Lex City Church and why we have come together and why we gather it's our vision that this is our moment in time, right? This is the part of the story we play. This is the season where we are the stewards of the movement of God. So just like the Apostle Paul, it, it starts there. Where does it begin? It starts at home. That's the strategy. It starts with the people who are closest to us that we love the most. It starts with our family. It starts with our community. It, it starts with, with our city that is right here. And then that genuine love for those that are closest to us, right, that love spreads through just rings of influence until ultimately it spreads ultimately, what, to the ends of the earth. And can I just encourage you and just I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for who we are as a church. As I think about how God has used us to the ends of the earth, it's a pretty miraculous thing. Through the goodness of God and the graciousness of God and doors he's opened and through the faithfulness of, his, of you, his people, to give and to go and support these things. When we think about our little church in terms of impact to the ends of the earth, it's pretty incredible. I wanna just encourage you. We have some of these amazing ends to, of the earth kind of relationships. 8,221 miles away to here, one of the poorest places on planet earth in Calcutta, India, we've had a strategic partnership for years 
where God is doing great and amazing things. Our team just traveled 7,627 miles to Uganda, Africa, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to one of the most needy places in all of the earth, and we got to be a part of that. Today, 1,623 miles from here in a little community in the mountains of uh, Guatemala, we have a relationship there, and today over 200 kids are being delivered from poverty in the name of Jesus because you have been faithful and supported on a monthly basis. Those are just three strategic end-of-the-world ministries that we're literally seeing hundreds, hundreds of people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus to the good news that Paul preached so many years ago. But today, I just want to remind you that all of that happens, which is miraculous and wonderful and exciting. But all of that global impact happens if we're faithful here at home first. Today, I want to remind you, Acts 1 says it starts in our Jerusalem. So I want to remind you as Lex City what our Jerusalem is. Where the calling, what's the vision that God has for us right here in our own city, in our community, and where God has planted us. See, it was five years ago, right? We, we chose, we chose a name, a Lex City. Why? Because we really wanted to be reminded that we are a community of followers of Christ who are for our city. We exist not just for ourselves, we exist for those around in a community that God has placed us in. And so today, I want to remind you what the book of Acts looks like in Lexington, Kentucky, in our context. And so I've asked uh, Pastor Dave and Josh to come and share. And this is one of the ways that we're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our Jerusalem first and then around the world. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.